0: Servus und herzlich willkommen to another episode of the Bavarian Podcast Works Flagship Show. This is your Schnitzel, and I am delighted to be joining as your host this time, and I will be joined by someone I have already done a podcast with and someone I really like doing podcasts with, uh, BFW's uh, key strategist and uh, the person who, you know, gets things Predictions, right, more often than not, uh, our very own Ryan, also known as Seiler, on BFW. Welcome to the pod. How are you doing today, and how are things your side?
1: Evening. It's been a pretty slow weekend, unfortunately, due to the cancellation of the game, but um, I'm doing pretty well, thanks.
0: That's nice to hear, and I know that spirits are low because the game got cancelled, But uh, I suppose that does give us room to explore some other topics and maybe also speculate about the future with regards to multiple things. And a nice way to kickstart the discussion would be talking about Bayern's current squad depth, how the squad looks overall heading into the business end of the season, which should begin very soon with the advent of the round of 16 after the group stage, and how Bayern might fare in the coming months, and maybe your perspective on if the team needs reinforcements or not. Like, if we do, which players do you think might fit in well at Bayern? And if we do not, I would like to hear your perspective on why not.
1: I think, I mean, it is pretty blindingly obvious that the squad definitely needs improvements in terms of depth. The centre back positions and even right back to some extent. Like there are some very clear issues with the squad. If money wasn't an issue, like for me, the ideal signing would be someone like um, John Stones. I have obviously we have a we have a roundtable in the works currently about dream signings for the January window. And while a lot of people would point to you know the fantastical nature of a move for say someone like Kylian Mbappe, who is. I wouldn't say linked, but there's there seems to be something brewing between Kylian Mbappe and Thomas Tuchel at the least. I would point, rather than going for something fantastical than that, my dream signing at the moment would be John Stones, right? Like, he is a player who I think would be perfect for the squad because I think at the moment the squad has three primary issues. Um, one of them I wouldn't really consider um, an issue with squad depth, but... Thomas Tuchel is looking for a more defensively focused profile for defensive midfield. I think he's proven himself in terms of um, pointing out issues with the squad and the lack of certain profiles. So I think the fact that he's really been pushing for a defensive midfielder, it shows that he wants to play a certain way and that he needs this kind of player. So I would definitely put that on the list as a priority, but I mean, in terms of squad depth, like, we are definitely lacking in defense. It's shown over the last few weeks where we've had Leon Goretzka, Conrad Limer, and Nusay Mazravi all deputizing at center back. This is not ideal at all for a club at our level, especially if we're going to make a deep run into all of the competitions. So I think a defensive signing or even two defensive signings, given that Nusay Mazravi and Kim Nj will be away for a couple months because of their international commitments they're definitely needed in january so i would say we definitely need to strengthen in those areas
0: i agree with the fact that we need more defensive reinforcements especially given the propensity with which uh, our defend defenders seem to drop down like flies especially during the business end of the season and also i don't know it's just delict's injury has ruined our defensive depth and uh just walking on very thin lines right now, upa Mukano and Kim Jae. and if one of those is out, then uh we are royally screwed and I suppose it would make a lot of sense to get in a defender, maybe a center back or even two, one as a depth piece, so we had uh um who was it oh my God uh, I keep forgetting the the Dutch. The Dutch player we signed last season as, uh, daily Blend. depth option. Yes, daily. Blend. Oh, thanks. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, I forgot completely about him. Uh, him and, uh, like, like a veteran presence that would uh, slot in if we need defensive depth. Uh, but hopefully he doesn't come to that and a quality center back option so that, you know, we can rotate between three center backs because right now I feel like we miss having a player like Benjamin Pavard with the versatility to play two or more positions, which was very, very useful for us in previous years. But right now, I don't think we have someone else. I don't think Leon Goretzka, for example, um he he, he does pretty decently in the games that he has played at centre-back, but I don't think he is cut out for that role. And I don't think that would be a viable option, especially in the Champions League, for instance. So we do need centre-backs. But uh, a more interesting question is... uh What do you think of the midfield situation? And do we really need a player like uh, João Paulinha still? Or do you think that Tuchel could make do with the options he already has at his disposal?
1: I think at the moment, Tuchel, we see this in the build-up patterns that Thomas Tuchel tends to prefer right now is that we basically never progress the ball through the center at all. And I think that's down to the fact that he really does want a number six who can kind of play the safer passes and let Kimmich advance up the field. So I do think that we need someone like that. But I think we kind of have that already in Alexander Pavlovich because Pavlovich is showcasing a lot of the defensive qualities that Tuchel is looking for, as well as having quite uh, a wide passing range as well. He's got a surprisingly good pass on him for somebody who's not very experienced at a top level. So... While I do think the signing of, say, Palinia would be, um, not one hundred percent. We need this player. It's not like a hurricane situation where we are clearly missing this profile. I do think that we need some sort, uh, some form of, uh, a ceiling raiser more than anything, right? Because the the team definitely has a hole in the middle where Tuchel wants to play through the middle, but he can't because he doesn't have the profile that he wants. So I would still say we go for Jao Palinia because he is a fantastic player, especially off the ball. I would say the one kind of thing that we're missing in midfield is that we don't really have uh, a player who's very strong off the ball. Uh, Leon Goretzka has his moments, the PSG games last season, he was very good, but he just seems to have no consistency with his off the ball performances. Uh, Joshua Kimmich is very weak off the ball. I'm, Sad to say that, but his positioning is not good enough. He tends to break shape a lot to press, and the same goes for Conrad Limer. He's not a very defensive-minded player when it comes to um, out of possession. He tends to just, you know, press and counter-press, but he's not very um, akin to holding his position. So I would, I would still look for someone uh, almost like um, in 2013 when, or 2012 when Upikas had all these profiles in midfield, and yet he still forced Bayern to break their transfer record to sign Javier Martinez. And of course, that worked out really well for us. I think there are a lot of parallels to that time.
0: Yeah, that is a very interesting point you bring up. But then again, uh, we know that Thomas Tuchel also really likes to sign players from the Premier League. And sometimes it could be misguided. Like, for instance... Uh, he there was a there was a period when he really wanted uh, Mason Mount to join Bayern, and he was also looking to bring Calvin Phillips as well, and I just feel like and and, and obviously there was there was there was the whole situation with Kyle Walker possibly joining Bayern uh, during the summer window, so I just I'm not very sure about his overall outlook his overall plan for Bayern in terms of the squad composition because I'm not sure he, I trust his judgment with respect to the players he wishes to sign. I do not doubt uh, João Paulinha's qualities at all. He is an incredible defensive midfielder. But then again, he is uh around, I think, 28, 29 years of age, and he is obviously not... uh young player, not a fresh player. He is in his prime, and this is quite possibly the most he would ever cost, and I don't think his value is going up further unless, you know, the uh, Fulham manages to do something incredible this season. Aside from that, I don't think um, it's a highly pressing need to sign a really top-class defensive midfielder who will cost a lot of money right now. I think we need an option that would be really solid, like a Marcel Zabitzer, who we had, or a Ryan Gravenberch who could have been incredible uh, if we had still retained him because he is bawling out for Liverpool. But uh, aside from that, I don't think we should spend big on a midfield transfer because we have already spent so much in the summer window on such key players. And if We are thinking of getting a center back, a quality center back like John Stones. It makes no sense, at least to me, to also sign a really top quality defensive midfielder. But uh, I remember, I'm not sure if it was you or someone else, uh, mentioning a few other less known defensive midfield options. So maybe if you could talk about a couple of them, I suppose it could illuminate the situation for the rest of us who also like to keep track of the transfer market.
1: Uh, I probably was me because I tend to write the Mancha Plan and articles, which are usually um, devoid of options that are publicly known. Oh, but, yes, big um, one. <laughs> yeah. The primary name that I had put forward, other than uh, Yves Basuma, who I don't think is a realistic option really, but I think the, the primary name that I put forward was uh, Valentin Rogier. He's currently the captain of Olympic Marseille, and he's, he's fantastic off the ball. He's one of the best, I would say, readers of the game. He came up as a more advanced player. He used to play as an attacking midfielder. He spent some time even playing in uh, a narrow front three as a right-sided inside forward. So back then, he was was very high in his statistics for pressing, counter-pressing, winning the ball back in high areas. But as of late, he's moved to a defensive role and he's actually doing very well. I think he would be the perfect player because he combines the sort of defensive resilience that we want from our um, our number six with a really good mind for the game on the ball. He's a very good deep playing playmaker. I wouldn't make the Thiago Alcantara comparison because, I mean, Thiago is just a, he's another level of football altogether. Like he's done things with the football that I don't think I've seen anyone else ever do, but he's got that kind of profile about him where he can, orchestrate from the back where he can keep a tempo going, where he can change the game um, with his passes. And I think he would be the ideal number six to sign more than Palinia because, well, not just the fact that he's better on the ball, but also he would be far cheaper. Rongier would probably cost us half, if not less than half of what Palinia is currently costing us. And they're pretty much the same age. Uh, Rongier turns 29 in a couple of weeks and Palinia is 28.
0: That sounds like a very fair... Argument in his favour. And I think uh, the player does sound quite exciting. Um, do you know how much he might cost us if we do choose to sign him?
1: Uh Mark values him at $20 million. I would say we could probably get him for... Yeah, around that. Maybe just a little bit under because he isn't exactly young. But, and Olympic Marseille aren't doing extremely well financially at the moment. I mean, in general, France is not doing pretty well post-pandemic. But I would say around $20 million is the... The ballpark
0: figure. That is actually an excellent deal. I think that would be a steal for a midfielder, especially if it's a quality midfielder, because we sort of need, you know, more of those signings that go under the radar, that won't cost us a lot of money, but will make a huge impact. And players like, you know, Joshua Kimmich, Rand Gravenbach, who was sold for a pretty hefty sum, and uh, the quality uh players we have up front in attack as well um like kings of the common for example they were signed for quite a low fee and they turned out to be really great buys and i love having a good mix of both steady signings like john stones like you mentioned statement signings and signings like alfonso davies or you know the rare type that go under the radar but prove us all wrong or pleasantly super right in a different direction and just impress everyone involved. And those kinds of signings are what, I suppose, give a lot of credibility to a board and to a scouting department. And if this kind of a transfer goes through, I would be very impressed. But also, I really want to see Alexander Pavlovich succeed because he's such an incredible player at such a young age. He has great vision, and I think he could be molded into a very good defensive midfield type player because he shows very good defensive and positional awareness from what I've seen in his game style. And I think he might lack a bit in physicality, but that is every single player, up-and-coming youngsters. But with more experience and possibly more time around such high-quality players, I think he could be the answer to our defensive midfield situation. But at the same time, I'm not sure how much Tuchel will trust him especially in games when we need a lot more emphasis on defense. So, I mean, what do you think of Tuchel's plans for Pavlovic? Do you think we will see a lot more of him in the Rukrunda, or do you think he will be more of a bench option for the most part?
1: I think um, Tuchel is bound to get, I mean, if not Jaupalini, we're definitely signing some form of defensive midfielder in January. So I think his game time will definitely see a decrease, which is unfortunate, but I think it's better... Not only, not only in the short term, but also in the long term, because then he can become an understudy for said defense midfielder, especially if it's, I mean, if it's Valentin, Rangier or Jao like these guys are 28, 29. They have, you know, five, six years at best in the tank. I would say in a realistic scenario, we have three years, four years to get out of Palini before he starts declining. And that will be the perfect time for Pavlovich to start um, playing far more games than before. That'll be the time where... He will mentally have matured and, I mean, hopefully physically matured as well into a far better player and a, a starting caliber player for Bayern Munich. So the the transition would be
0: far cleaner. So you think we have a player right now, as in we sign a player right now to sort of serve as a stopgap, but also a quality reserve option and then let uh, Pavlovic take a stand to develop and get molded into that frame, into that position and make it his own, right?
1: Yeah, that's what I'm going for. I wouldn't call it a stopgap yeah. if it's a three- or four-year solution, but yeah, yeah. essentially just the, the bridge before Pavlovich takes over for the next seven, eight years.
0: That sounds like a good idea, but I think that would also then eliminate the the, the option of bringing in someone like uh, Joao Pal- Palinia simply because he costs so much and... I think there would be pressure on the coach and on the board to start him more often given how much we'll be paying him and how much we would have signed him for. Because, I mean, that is a pretty big signing and there is no point in spending that much money if you're not going to play that player, right?
1: Well, I mean, Paulinia would consistently start. I don't see why he wouldn't start pretty much every game for Bayern Munich. It's only once uh, he starts declining a bit that the minutes would be shared more and more. And eventually, you would see him phased out. It's kind of like what uh, Real Madrid did at left-back with Marcelo and Ferran Mendy, where Mendy came in and Marcelo was still you know, pretty good. It took about, I think, two or three years for Real to finally like fully let go of Marcelo. And in that time, Mendy consistently got more and more game time until he became the starter.
0: That, yeah. So, yeah, that makes sense, actually. The phasing in and phasing out of players. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very nice. Um, if you're able to achieve some, some sort of that balance, it would be nice. But also uh, with Palinia, the main problem that I have is he is a player who we would have signed for a lot of money. And then that means we also have to bench one of our other midfield options. And that becomes quite difficult because Jojo Akemet holds so much sway in this team. And I believe he, kind of always starts, at this point at least, even if his performances sometimes can have slumps because I have no doubt he is in the top five of the squad always in terms of overall player quality because, for me at least, he is a top five midfielder and has been for a very long time. And I don't think that what he lacks in defense really diminishes his quality in any way because his... Deep lying playmaking ability is second to none. And his vision and Levi has bolstered this Bayern team since 2018, 2019, when he started getting molded into the prime Kimish role, obviously as a right back first. And then as a midfielder in the Champions League winning season has been nothing short of incredible. And I think once he retires, he could well go down as one of Germany's best midfielders ever. So. He has always, I mean, he always has a good shout to start and with Goretzka as well. When he's fit firing and in full form, as we saw in his partnership with Conrad Leimer in recent weeks, he has been incredible. So you then get the question, like, who do you really bench, right? And who do you start with such a deep midfield? So I think it might prove tricky for Tuchel, but at the same time, If Alinia is able to impress as a defensive midfielder, I see no reason why he doesn't get enough starts. And uh, I guess moving forward with uh, the attack, I don't think we need any signings there. Do you agree?
1: Oh yeah, 100%. We are well-staffed in attack. Beyond well-staffed, actually. I would look to let go of... (laughs) So it's going
0: to be maybe. <laughs> I have been saying the same thing for years now, maybe like three, four years, five years. I don't know why we are still keeping him and constantly extending him. Maybe because he is friend and maybe that could help us in our negotiations with the player. But I don't know. He is he's a really good player. I'm not denying that. Great quality. Uh, shows up uh, once in a blue moon to demolish a team from the UK. But aside from that, I don't think he's very consistent. I think he is a third or fourth option in uh, attack at best. And I think he is prone to being very inefficient in front of goal at times. And he's very hot and cold, very sporadic. And I would prefer someone with consistency than someone who shows up once every five games. So if we can sell him now for a nice chunk of change before it drops even further, his valuation... I would go for it, but I don't think Bayern is going to. So we are stuck with the same crop of attackers, I believe. And also because I think players like Stell, uh or Matthew Tell uh, would uh, deserve more options, more chances in attack, especially as wingers or strikers, because he is an incredible player. And because of the wing depth, because of the attacking depth and quality that Bayern has, And Tuchel's, uh, I guess, safer approaches in most games, just playing the most experienced options up front, it denies these youngsters the opportunity to sort of impress. And having too many attackers could be detrimental in a way. So if we can sell Gnabry and get some nice money and probably reinvest that in a player like Johnstone's, I would be very happy with the Winter Window.
1: Oh, 100%. I mean... I would say John Stones is a pipe dream. It's more of a, it's a dream signing more than anything. But yeah, I don't yeah. think he's I mean, coming, it,
0: Honestly, yeah.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, he's never gonna leave Manchester City. Yes. If we get John Stones, I would say we wouldn't need to sign any other player genuinely because he can play right back, he can play centre back, he can play defensive midfield. You could stick him at number eight and you would do a better job than Leon Goretzka. That's not a slight to Goretzka. It's just, it's a measure of Stones' quality. And he brings something that no one else does in the squad, which is the ability to dribble from deep. He is so press it It is ridiculous. It is actually useless trying to press John Stones. (laughs) There are very few players that you can say that about. But it is actually pointless trying to take the ball off him.
0: No, no, no. I agree. And I think that is one of the key reasons why City have been so successful because they look so assured at the back, especially in build-up phases, that uh, he is probably the ideal Pep defender, a person who can be assured in defense while also being pivotal for distribution. That is the kind of defender that any team would like to have. And that is exactly why we signed lict. I think. He offers all these qualities, but unfortunately he's injured, so we need someone to take that place. And I love Upamekano. He is awesome. Uh He can be a dominant force, a force to be reckoned with. He can pocket any attacker on his day, but I am not sure I trust him completely when the stakes are high because he has cracked under pressure each and every time. And that worries me because if it's a game against, for example, Real Madrid and he is pitted against Jude Bellingham, I am not sure I'm taking Upamekano in that duel. So, This is not a slight in any way to Pamukano's quality or how much he can influence games as a centre-back. It's just I'm not sure I would put all my cards on him, you know. I would love to have a centre-back with more experience and someone who could rise to the occasion and be that X-factor, that difference maker. And John Stones, for me at least, is more of that kind of player than Upa is. And with that, I guess uh, we can move on to the next topic, which would probably be... More spicy, but also something we have had discussed in so many pods in the past. But let me just raise the question this way: We have seen Tuchel's Bayern for almost, I guess, uh, eight nine months now. We started at March, and it's still going. I wouldn't say going strong, but it's going. What do you think of Tuchel's Bayern? Are they really improving? or are we seeing the exact same problems occur again and again to the point where you start to question if the coach is really doing anything to improve the team?
1: Well, I think I've had quite a public... um, How do I say this? I've had quite a publicized um, opinion of Thomas Tuchel, uh, whether on the podcast or in articles, Prior to, I would say, the last month or so, I was probably the most vocal advocate of Tuchel Out, other than maybe um, I Need No Name. I just did not get what he was doing at all. It seemed like the team was completely directionless. But I would say in the last month or so, I mean, I I published the two film room articles, the lengthy ones that basically broke down the differences between Nagelsmann and Tuchel's play which was a very difficult article for me to write because I mean, I was essentially for, for 4,000 words, I was essentially explaining why my favorite manager of all time is completely wrong and why this manager that I don't really like is doing things better. But that, that that's what it was. And I have to say that despite the fact that Thomas Tuchel's Bayern is not as pretty as Nagelsmann's Bayern, they're not as dominant as Nagelsmann's Bayern. What I will say is they're getting results. And statistically, they are better than Nagelsmann's Bayern. They're conceding less per game, and they're scoring more per game. They're creating more per game. And the quality of shots, the quality of chances conceded, all of the, all of these statistics have seen an uptick. So I have to say Tuchel's Bayern definitely look better than Nagelsmann's Bayern did at times. But I would still say that he has a long way to go because when Nagelsmann's Bayern were in gear, They were undoubtedly the best team in all of Europe. And I don't think we can say the same about Tuchel.
0: I tend to agree. I think I have also been very vocal about my disdain for Tuchel's Bayern, especially in terms of what he has achieved so far and the fact that we seem to be dropping out of every competition that we're in contention for, uh, except for the Bundesliga last season, which I would argue was more of Nagelsmann's work than Tuchel's, because... Uh the, the the end of the season was more a Dortmund bottle job than a Tuchel, you know, smashing victory. So not very convinced overall as Tuchel's uh, credentials don't seem to be uh, the theme here at Bayern, especially with how they are not dominating opposition, how we are having problems with scoring, how the defense is looking amazing and the midfield is totally chaotic. But I did have a discussion with Anidonim and it was very heated as it usually is. And we spoke about a lot of topics and we covered Nagelsmann's Bayern versus Tuchel's Bayern and a bunch of other topics. And I did mention that I am seeing results under Tuchel's Bayern. I am seeing some improvements, some forms of rotation and it's just a hint of an idea every now and then. So I feel like the team can get better. It is improving, but I'm also not very optimistic about the team winning a lot of trophies. I think the Bundesliga is very doable, especially given... I know Leverkusen is having an incredible season, but I will be amazed if they manage to keep this pace for the rest of the season, because I think they will drop points eventually. And I think that is when Bayern will capitalize. But with respect to competitions like the Champions League, which is basically the only other competition we're in because we're already out of the Pokal not very optimistic simply because I'm not sure how well this tactic might fare against better opposition that might just exploit the defense. And I'm not sure I see the, a clear semblance of an idea or a pattern with Tuchel's plan. Like I do not see a tactic, a strategy. I don't know what he's trying to do. And uh, that kind of worries me because without a clear philosophy, without a guide to the rest of the team, it can Be quite troublesome. It can be a struggle. I thought Nagelsmann's Bayern was incredible till the day he got sacked. I was very unhappy with his firing. Everyone knows this. I keep arguing in his favor and for good reason. It was very unfair what happened and he was in contention for all three trophies till the time he got sacked and the entire season got jeopardized, as we all know. But right now, I think it will also be an unfair comparison to sort of compare Nagelsmann's Germany to Dupl's Bayern because. He is also very limited by the quality of players he has. And there are no two ways of putting this. He does not have good striker options. The defense isn't great. He has to keep experimenting with new players to sort of try and create or concoct the ideal 11, while Tuchel has one of the world's best squads handed over to him, and he seems to not have an easy time with getting the best out of them so I think I can say that to summarize I see some improvements I see some hope but I'm not sure that hope is enough to win Bayern the Champions League I'm not sure this quality can get Bayern a win on aggregate against a team of Real Madrid's caliber or Manchester City or even Liverpool but thankfully they're not in the Champions League Uh, sorry Tom But otherwise, yeah, Uh, even Arsenal for that matter. I would actually, funny enough, be worried if Bayern faced Arsenal in the knockouts. They won't, thankfully, because Arsenal finished first. But uh, you get the idea. If we face any team that can trouble us with quality, I would tend to worry, simply because I see a clear game plan. And it simply cannot be Harry Kane, Lira Zane. And inshallah, you cannot do that. You need a clear game plan.
1: Yeah, I have to definitely agree. the The lack of coherence with the game to game tactics is very worrying for me. And I will say, Arsenal would definitely beat us. Like there is, I don't have any doubts in my mind about that. Arsenal would definitely beat us, which is very worrying because under Nagelsmann's, under Nagelsmann's Bayern, there was no team in Europe that I would ever turn to and say, "Yeah, they're going to beat us." Even even Manchester City when we got drawn against him initially, I remember having zeroed out my mind that we would win that game.
0: I know, funny enough. Yeah, yeah.
1: after Nagzman got axed. And that was when my friends were like, oh, what were you saying? Zeroed out in your mind and everything. What can I say? I mean, the code changed.
0: I I agree completely, yes. Yeah. I was uh, not very happy either. Yeah. And uh, I think that could possibly have been the reason why we collapsed so miserably against Manchester City in the Champions League. And that was it, you know, that was the end. And I cannot say uh, nobody saw it coming. I think we all saw it from a mile away. It was it was very, very visible what would happen, uh, at least for me, with the morale of the team being crushed. If you remember the, the, the game, just the games right before in the UCL but against PSG and the team was so fired up; they would go to war for him. That's how they looked. They looked battle-ready. And uh, fast forward a month, and Manchester City in the Champions League—absolute demolition job. We got destroyed. So, uh,
1: yeah, you I, can I, make a I case for Ubalcano
0: being uh, one of the key instigators of that happening, but I mean, can you really put all of the blame on him? The team did not look good at all. It was so incoherent. The players were out of sorts, out of depth. And uh, Haaland made a meal of us. So,
1: Yeah, I, I still watch those. I would still watch those PSG games back just to look at the players and how they're behaving and everything. And I mean, I remember Thomas Muller on the bench. He was kidded up for the entire 90. He was talking in Anglesman the entire time. They hugged yes. on the first and the second goals. It was It was beautiful watching the team. It, gen- it very- genuinely felt like they would kill themselves for an win, and it was amazing. Yeah,
0: agreed. They were in very good spirits till the point the coach got fired, which was really annoying. But uh, I guess speaking of annoying, we can talk about Germany's national team situation right now, which probably would annoy me to even higher levels had Bayern, you know, not been performing so mediocrely in recent weeks and, you know, getting eking out a, a draw against Copenhagen with Harry Kane on the pitch. I mean, I don't know how that happens. Maybe maybe it's like some five D chess and we somehow hate Man United so much that we want Copenhagen in and we just want them out. Like we 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 don't want anything to do with that English club. But, uh, I think the odds are more likely that we just couldn't get anything past Copenhagen because the attack was terrible. And also the rest of the game plan just went, uh, just went out of the window. You know, just try and not concede was the game plan for most of the game. And if it had not been for a couple of Neuer saves, which were spellbinding, which were incredible, by the way, we would have lost. I think. That is quite safe to say. so German national team the group the, the group, group stage picks are out. Germany will be facing Switzerland, Hungary and Scotland. Am I right in saying that I'm not very happy with uh, Germany's group and that I genuinely don't believe that this team as of now has what it takes to get out of the group.
1: I would agree 100%. I would say that Hungary are probably going to top the group and I don't see Germany beating either Scotland or Switzerland at the moment.
0: I feel like a Scott-McTominay hat-trick isn't coming (laughs) for some reason.
1: Yeah, I posted on Twitter as well. I can see the vision for a 1-1 draw where McTominay scores early and then Havertz scores a late winner, a late equalizer, and that's your game. Yeah.
0: It, it, It seems like they will eke out a draw at best and get demolished by like every single team at worst. So it is very, very unpleasant right now. I mean, even the squad situation, it seems like Nagelsman should be able to should be able to do better. Should be able to get more from the players, you know. Should be able to sort of utilize the talent at his disposal. The squad should be doing a better job against the opposition they've been facing lately, but no it's always the team somehow Let's, I wouldn't say let us has been down, but it's just, it doesn't fit for some reason. And I can see the vision he has, but yeah, it's just, it just doesn't seem to be working. Uh, but anyways, I think uh, we can take a break right now because the pod is going to end. We will see you guys after a short break and we will continue on this heated topic shown. Uh, welcome back again, guys, from that break. And thanks for constantly staying tuned to us. And uh, I suppose we take breaks also because uh, Chuck has to make his ads and publish them. And that is one source of our revenue, a revenue that we have no idea where it ends up because Chuck <clears throat> doesn't uh, disclose all of this information. So Chuck maybe should start sharing some of the money with us too, man. But uh yeah, getting back to the topic of discussion of the pod. Right now, yeah, we're just looking at uh, Germany's chances in the Euros of progressing outside the group stages. And to me, it looks very sad. I'm not very optimistic about things when it comes to Germany or Bayern at the moment, but right now more Germany than Bayern simply because the team is losing to minnows and there is no cohesion it seems like the players are in a rut, a mental rut of their own making. And obviously there is also a dearth of quality in the team that we haven't seen in a while. Uh I mean, that we have been seeing for a few years now, but I mean, throughout the course of the history of the German national team, it has usually not looked this bad, considering Germany has won four World Cups so far. And uh, 2014, for instance, uh had quite a lot of quality options distributed throughout the squad. None that were probably the best in the world, undisputedly outside of maybe Manuel Neuer at that time. And an argument could also be made for Philip Lahm and Bastian Schweinsteiger. But there was this even distribution of great quality and everyone was very solid. But now you don't have that cohesiveness in the unit. Um, a lot of midfielders, very few strikers, very good defensive options. So... It looks very bad for Germany at the moment, but Nagelsmann could change everything in the upcoming months with his strategies and with how the squad performs. So with regards to, I guess, Germany's hardest opposition from the group, who do you think Germany would have the most trouble with, stylistically, but also quality-wise?
1: I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that Hungary
0: are topping this group, so I would say them and uh, why is that why would hungary top the group
1: there is just far too much quality in the side uh, they've got marco rossi as a manager who is very accomplished and he's running a 3421 system that's very fluid right now and it definitely works with the kind of profiles that he has uh, marco rossi is not a very well known manager and to be fair i haven't watched him much either but he's got a pretty good cv and he's doing very well with hungary right now he's been there for i think about 5 years now he's doing very well with them and the kind of quality that they do have in the squad is very underrated, right? They've got players like Atila Shalai, uh, Peter Golacip may not, I don't think he'll play for Hungary at the Euros at this point. I think Denis Tibush uh, will get the start, but he's an option. You've got Atila Shalai and Gabor Shalai and Adam Lang in defense, who are all fantastic. You've got um, Milos Kerkes, who was one of the best players in all of the Netherlands last season and is doing very well for Bournemouth right now. He's got he's got bags of pace to burn. He's very good technically. He's not afraid to put a leg in. He's a fantastic left wing back. You've got a midfield that consists of players like Adam Nagy, who's very experienced at a top level. You've got players like uh, Schultz Kalmar, who's very good. And you've got Christopher Horvath. And then up front, you have Roland Schalai, who we are very familiar with in the Bundesliga. He's been yes. very consistent for SC5. And of course, you have the the main man himself, the captain, one of the best midfielders in the world right now. You've got Dominic Schaupershlai. Yes. There is far too much quality in the squad. And unlike Germany, this is quality that has been met with function and with a system that works for everyone. And I just, I don't see Germany beating that hungry team at all.
0: I think as depressing as it sounds, I agree with you completely. I think that midfield has a lot of quality, but also the defenders are so underrated. And I think Kerkhez is a player that I've also wanted to see at Bayern, to be very honest. I felt like the scouting department could consider him as an option, but right now his stock is exploding and uh, not very sure if that is doable. But aside from that, I think the rest of the team has always been so good, you know, not not just together, but also individual quality. And this was a team that almost knocked Germany out of the previous Euros group stages, if not for a goal from Leon Goretzka towards the dying minutes of the game, off of a Muziala assist. And I feel like that game was probably... Hungary's to lose, like they just were dominating Germany, and the 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 the, the team just looked so well dr- dr- drilled, and uh, well um the, the team plan was really good, well executed. So the prospect of facing a better Hungary this time, possibly, makes me feel really sorry for Germany, but also very anxious about the rest of the matchups in the group because then you have to beat the other two teams which are which is not an easy task at all. Scotland and Switzerland. And we can start with Switzerland and uh, what do you think of their quality overall and how this is maybe also not that good for Germany. <laughs> wow, depressing.
1: Yeah, it is. It's quite depressing, isn't it? Um, to be fair, I don't know much about their manager. I can't even name their manager which is Quite embarrassing, but Switzerland have fantastic quality as well. We we know about their attackers, right? We know Jett and Shakiri, we know Noah Kafour, we know Renato Stefan, we know Ruben Vargas. But their midfield and their defense is actually surprisingly good. You don't think about it at first, but then you look at their midfield beyond just Granite Jacka, they've got Dennis Zakaria who's doing very well at Monaco. Excellent they've got Rembo yes. Froiler, who is Extremely experienced at a top level. He's been playing at a top level for Atalanta, and now he's playing at Bologna. He's very good as a number eight and a number six. He's pretty much the perfect partner for Granacherka. And then you look at their defense. They've got three center backs who are all top level. Two of them are world class. You've got Nico mm-hmm. Already, who's probably going to warm the bench, and then you've got Fabi and and Manuel Acuzzi,
0: who are who's a quality players. player. Yes, really, really top top level defenders.
1: Yeah, Yeah, these are amazing players, and if you somehow get past them, you have to face Jan Zomer in goal, who is probably the most (laughs) informed goalkeeper in the world right now, minus maybe Gregor Kobel, who is also Swiss. Yeah, what do you do here? There is there is no play. I mean, they've even got like Ricardo Rodriguez, who can come off the bench. Like these are these are not players to scoff at. Yeah,
0: the 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 Bayern attack uh, is going to. I mean I mean whatever uh players are common to both Bayern and Germany, which would probably be the players that start quite often for Germany, like the like Muziala, Alurizane, Ganabri, you know, they will probably get PTSD from their time against Jan Sommer in the Bundesliga. And I think oh, yeah. they are not ready for this duel. I actually feel really bad for this, for this, for that, for that attack to be facing this defense. And also, so many underrated players in Switzerland as well, like, uh, Jibril So, Renato Stefan, who used to be one of my favorite oh, yes. players, of Wolfsburg, really, really top quality player. Kevin Mbabu as well, pretty,
1: yeah,
0: I mean, just loads of pace to burn there. Ruben Vargas, very underrated, I think. And, uh, Brie up front. I mean, talk about having your hands full mm-hmm. and some. You know, just yeah, I guess we can just skip Switzerland right now. <laughs> Unless Germany gets its act together, uh this doesn't look very nice. Um finally yeah. I think Scotland, the team that Germany has the most chances again, which could again come and bite me bite me back later when the Euros arrive. <laughs> but I think I think this is the one team that could potentially be overcome by the German midfield and attack because They, overall, I would say, like for like, when you compare it to the other two teams, maybe have less quality than Switzerland, definitely uh, less quality than Hungary, overall player for player. But still, so many players there who can trouble uh, Germany. Like, I mean, off the top of my head, you can already think of uh, Kieran Tierney, uh, Scott McTominay, who always somehow scores when you least expect him to... Uh, Stuart Armstrong, Chair Adams, uh, maybe who else? Uh, Liam Cooper from as well. When I used to follow, oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes, follow them. So, they, so, so, so. They've,
1: they've actually got a very good midfield. Like they've got players who will just run themselves into the ground, right? You've got, oh yeah, Dominic, and, uh, got Billy Jimo, Tom is going to get John
0: McIn. Tom's going to get pissed because we completely forgot about uh, Robertson. You know, he's going to get yeah, Andy Robertson go so mad. Yeah, yeah, and and.
1: They've actually got very good players. Like They've got John Suthar at centre-back, who's actually very underrated, I think. He's, he's going to show up. And obviously, you've got players like Aaron Hickey and Nathan Patterson, who are fantastic as wing-backs. But you look at that midfield, and you think, can Germany compete? Because Germany might have technical quality, but when you come up against a midfield four of Billy Gilmore, John McGinn, Callum McGregor, and Stuart Armstrong... And you have options like Scott McTominay, Kenny McLean and Lewis Ferguson. These are all players who will run themselves into the ground. They will do 12 kilometers no matter what. Can Germany keep up with that?
0: I feel like uh, this discussion was a very bad idea. And now I'm not having very good thoughts about Germany's chances overall. I mean, not that I had... But but a lot of optimism to begin with, but now it's just all dashed to the ground, and things need to really change if Germany needs to have any chance. But also, I love uh you mentioned some of the less known names, I guess, and uh, some underrated players in that list as well. I think, for example, Elliot uh, Anderson has been incredible, Uh very, very, very good player. Um, Newcastle is, I mean, he's one of their key players, and also, um. So some some really top level players like Andrew Robertson there, who I did not mention, but also, I guess Aaron Hickey. We were so close to signing him, right? I'm pretty sure he was almost going to be signed by Bayern, and then he wasn't. He In may memory, have been on the be list. Right. I
1: yeah, I don't yeah. remember correctly, but he may have been on the list. Yeah, he
0: he was on Bayern's radar. I'm pretty sure, but uh, and there was another Scottish player as well, right? Uh, a youngster, all these Scottish youngsters. We were because uh, even early this year, I think Bayern really wanted to sign Aaron Hickey, but uh, he apparently, according to BBC Sport, rejected Bayern to play with Brentford. So uh, you know, I'm not really sure how much uh, veracity that that statement holds, but you can't help but think that. There are some really top options there that could give Germany trouble, and these are don't get I mean don't get me wrong anyway these are all teams I mean Switzerland Scotland and Hungary are all teams that Germany should be beating quite comfortably. If this was 2014, I think this would not be under discussion. It just It's so crazy to me how in less than a decade, uh, Germany has fallen from grace so ungracefully. And right now they're just scrapping for draws against teams that we should have obliterated in the years past. So I don't know. Overall, it doesn't look that great. But I also kind of believe in Nagelsmann as a manager. The ideas he tries to implement his tactics, his strategies, like it, once they click, I know that this team is going to be firing on all the cylinders. But it's just unfortunate that this is not club football. He will get just a couple of weeks every now and then to instill his ideas to drill the team into attacking, into playing the way he wants it to. And given the limited options and the quality of Germans, uh, uh, you know, German national teams overall, Squad composition, I wouldn't bet too much on Germany. Not maybe getting out of the group stage, because I think they will, but I'm probably already jinxing them in the process. I don't think they're going to go very far in the competition because of how many top-quality teams there will be, and they're all going to trouble Germany so much when the time comes. So, as an analysis, I think we did as much as we could, I think if there are any positives, what would they be? Because I don't feel very good right now. So maybe you can.
1: I mean, some no, I think
0: potential positives. I
1: have, I have to agree with you on the fact that the only positive we can bring from this is that Julian Nagelsmann is one of the smartest minds in all of football. And then we kind of have to, have to back his choices. And I think, I think he's doing the right thing in terms of personnel choices is that he's not taking the established names. I remember, uh, Maybe it was a couple of months ago now, I'd done a podcast with I Need No Name where we were talking about alternative options for Germany. And the names that I had brought up back then were uh, Anton Stach, Robert Andrich, uh, Marvin Dux, uh, Dennis Undav, all these guys. And all of these guys have now had um, a chance to train with the squad at least, even if they haven't played. Uh, Dennis Lundav hasn't yet, but he's on the radar now. There was a Plettenberg report, I think, about half an hour ago that came out about the fact that Dennis Lundav is now also on the national team radar. And this is good because these are players who are hungry. These aren't players who have already played for the team. These are players who maybe didn't even think they'd ever get the chance to play for Germany. And now they have the chance to play for it. So there will be a sense of drive for them. And that's what we need. I think more than anything, the squad is lacking in not ambition, but I would say they're lacking in desire and they they just seem to be playing to save themselves rather than playing to win and I think we need to change the personnel around or change the mentality around somehow and I think this is the way to do it.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree about, you know, not playing as a team but also not playing to win. Like, they don't have the same sort of motivation, the, the, the grit that we have seen in years past and, I can't, oh, excuse me for that. Uh, dust allergy, uh, allergies can really kill. Uh, anyways, uh, yeah, as I was saying, the team doesn't look like it has a clear direction in terms of just winning games, just going in there and performing. And I feel like a lack of leadership is also a problem with the German national team. There is no clear vocal voice right now especially given Thomas Miller is not taking the pitch quite as often as he used to. And uh we lack model sort of players who can guide the team and just push them in all phases of the pitch. I know what Kimmich shouts a lot, but aside from that, I think, for example, in the attack, we need someone who can instill that passion in the team. We need mentality monsters. And I hate to say this, but I think... The mentality of several German national team players is very fragile. And I don't think that they really want to win games out of sheer will. You know, just to, uh, to, uh, to to say that, uh, for instance, I missed that quality in uh, Schweinsteiger or, or Philipp Lahm. Um, it, it makes a lot of sense that we haven't really won much uh, since in many tournaments. I think the last good tournament from Germany was probably... The Euros in uh, 2016, then uh, they reached the semis, right that year, and uh, I believe, I believe they lost. so. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Did they lose to France?
1: Yes, because yeah, the other right. semifinal was Portugal versus Wales, which that's right. By the way, that is the only game that Portugal won in that entire tournament within ninety minutes, which is ridiculous.
0: That's crazy. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
1: They they drew three group stage games. They went to extra time in the round of sixteen. They went to pens in the quarters, and then that one Wales game. It's the only game they won in ninety minutes.
0: That is mind blowing to me. Yeah, yeah. It's. I, think, I mean, I mean, yeah. I think it, I think I think we can say that they, it's it's a it's a fall from grace for sure. They are simply not the same team that they used to be, and uh, since then it has been a wildly different game altogether the team just sort of struggling to get wins against opposition that are miles lower in terms of overall quality. but I guess what does overall quality mean if you get outclassed by the players in a fair 11v11 11 11 matchup I think that term is overrated and I think the terms on paper, are also used quite often, but is also overrated. I think on paper, any team could be any team if the quality is just good enough, but that is seldom how it works in football. So,
1: Yeah, I think with football, the concept of on-paper quality is extremely fragile because it's all about system. It's all about how everyone works together. There's a lot of intangibles that a lot of people don't realize until they actually start playing football. It, there's there's so many different aspects to how a team functions beyond just how good a player is technically or how good a group of players is technically because I mean you look at like the Manchester City team of 2018 or 2019 that's probably the best group of technical players ever assembled and they didn't win the Champions League but the 2023 team did so there's there's a lot more to it than on paper quality
0: yes that's right that's right. I think uh yeah, I think we can probably agree that it is going to be a challenge, but also in an attempt to not be super depressed about this and to probably take home something generally hopeful as well from the entire situation. Things could always change with uh Nagelsman at the arm. and again with Tuchel, like I always say I also think he can still turn things around before it's too late. He still has the opportunities. He still has the chances. I think the man can do it. I think he has the squad and the tools at his disposal to achieve great things at Bayern. And I really hope he does because time is running out and he has to start showing results. So, yeah, that is my take-home message from here. And uh, aside from that, I think that... This is probably going to be a turbulent year for Bayern fans, given we are already out of one competition and Leverkusen is playing so excellently. But if anything can redeem us from this rut, that is a Champions League win. And despite everything you said about Tuchel, he has won the Champions League before. The man knows what it feels like to win the trophy, so this is the best we can hope for right now because I don't think there are options in the market that can replace him and be a significant increase in quality because the only other option that could do that is hired by the German national team. So not not that great of a situation in the market either, but uh, this is my overall outlook. Uh, What do you think, I guess, before we conclude the pod?
1: I very much have to agree, and I actually really like the way the the staff is moving right now more than uh, Thomas Tuchel. The one thing that I'm the one staff member I'm very happy with is Christoph Freund, because he's so important for youth development as well as our transfers. I think Freund brings a level of just consistency and brilliance with his talent ID that I think if you combine that with Tuchel's very concrete needs and desires. That can create uh, a crystal, a crystallized squad of players with very clear profiles, very clear roles, and I think, I think our squad planning is in the best place that it's ever been. Uh, Well, not ever been, but it's in the best place it's been since Matthias Samra left.
0: I love the sound of that. Uh, Finally, something really positive. I'm very happy to end the pod in this fashion, before I spiral back into fears of Bayern collapsing in all competitions. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Uh, feel free to like, rate, share, subscribe up to us on any and all podcasting platforms of your choice, be it Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Megaphone, whatever you use to listen to us. And feel free to check out our articles on Burberry Football Works because we have some really nice content in there. And Ryan is also coming up with a spicy Roundtable very soon, so stay tuned for that. And uh, we will constantly bring you as many opinion pieces and as many articles to also show our viewpoints on various things as possible. So stay tuned and keep the feedback coming. We really love to hear what you think. Thank you so much, Ron, for joining me. It was a pleasure doing the pod with you and uh, hearing your insights. I hope we get to do this very soon. Uh, again, thanks a lot for everyone who listened. Vielen Dank und Auf Wiedersehen.